Hello, everyone. It's open season podcast time. Back from the uh, the brief hiatus I was on. Uh, you know, just graduations and a busy time in May. Couple couple events to go to. So you know, I've been doing this uh, every day since about January, and it's uh, this is the easiest part of the the job. Believe it or not, is just sitting here and uh, and talking to myself. Uh, the research and everything that goes into it, the show prep. So, uh, well-deserved break. Ramble is anonymous. We'll also be back this week. Uh, I believe we're actually going to do a live broadcast, which uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of Ramble is anonymous last week, uh, we had a great guest on, Chris Hill, and uh, I decided to bring Chris on the show with me this week. Chris, you with me? Yes, I am. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. So, Chris, I, I, um, I'm not going to call you my guest. I'm going to call you a Ramblers Anonymous contributor. How do you like that? Oh, it sounds fantastic. Good compliment. Last week on Ramblers Anonymous was a, was a lot of fun, so I figured why not uh, bring you on. Uh, since I had you on, we've had some controversy with the Democratic National Convention, a couple Trump stories here and there. Now we can actually speculate uh, about who his VP pick is going to be. So I guess let's start off with the support of Donald Trump. Uh, you, of course, if you listen to Rambles Anonymous, some of you will know that Chris stated that he was a Democrat before. What brought you over to the, uh, I guess, what, what made you get on the Trump train? Well, like you said, I was a Democrat in the past. Uh, I grew up in a whole Democrat family. Uh, my fa- I come from a family of immigrants. And uh, so a bunch of Puerto Ricans, we, of course, grew up inculcated on the, in the left. Uh, all teachers, all in the union, pro-union. Uh, but what happened was is I became in college a libertarian upon studying philosophy because uh, it made the most sense. So I've been right-leaning conservatively uh, for a very long, for about a decade now. Uh, when Trump came around, I thought he was just really a joke, to be honest. But listening to his policies, I thought about the arguments that we looked at the foreign policy arrangements we have going on currently, the global situation, and I was sold hook, line, and sinker. Oh, definitely. I think most people, when he came up, thought he was a joke. I mean, in, I, I wanted Donald Trump to run for a while, um, especially in 2012, where, yeah, I voted for Romney. I liked Romney because the notion of having Obama for another four years, I knew that the last four years were going to be what really uh, turns this country down. But I wanted Trump to run in 2012 just to shake things up a little bit. So when he, uh, when he, I guess, declared his candidacy in July, I was so excited. And he started out talking about real issues. Now, he was a little brash in the beginning. He made some comments he shouldn't have made. Um, even some of his policies, he could have went about it a little bit differently uh, with the way he came about it, you know. But I think for starters, the comments about Megyn Kelly were wrong. But you know what? It was nice to have a candidate who, when pushed, when uh, brought, brought to the brink of almost embarrassing him on national TV, pitting a whole uh, debate against him solely, I like that he stood up for himself and did what he had to do. And he, he said some rash comments, but again, that's what you need in this country, someone who's able to push back. So that initially is what drew me to Donald Trump. Now, I think he's honing in on some of these serious issues in this country. Uh, we look in Europe, border security is an absolute issue there. They're letting everybody in, and the terrorist attacks are just crazy. I mean, we've seen what happened in Brussels. We've seen what happened in uh, France at the Bataclan. Um, 
is is well, Trump, there's, there's is a Trump... lot to, just to jump in there's a lot to learn from what's going on in Europe for example in the country of Hungary uh their terrorist issues because uh, they have had terrorist attacks in the past have dropped off precipitously uh they did something uh that has reduced terrorist attacks to zero since it was finalized and that was building a wall they built a wall a physical wall around their border and it works right so when he says things like the wall like the wall is so chastised and I, I don't think people know uh, how important securing our border is, especially from Mexico. I had on last week a, uh, a person who worked for the border security, and he says, don't be fooled by 11 million immigrants. They stopped counting that number in like 1987. We can have close to 100 million illegal immigrants today, and we don't even know about it. So securing our borders is extremely important for the notion of safety, uh, for economics. So it, it's silly that this... The wall, the wall, everyone chastises the wall, but they don't understand how important it is. Uh, the other issue I think he's honed on is he has a business set mind. What he wants to do is help uh, businesses flourish because he understands that those business owners are the ones hiring people to create income. Uh, a lot of people just think he's a crony capitalist, which he's not. Are you are you on the same page as me as far as his business mindset and his economics towards his tax plans? No, oh, 100%. What I find to be mo most important about him is that the way he the way he learned his business was he learned from his father. Uh, and so they started off, his father was, uh, back before the father even became successful himself, mostly work, working on housing and projects uh, and smaller scale homes. So he learned the industry starting from the bottom up. Uh, understanding the whole scale of economies and economics for how much per square footage this or labor hours that. And so he fully understands not just how to run big business, but how to run small business. He knows college industry. He knows what it takes to succeed and, and where to cut costs and how to finish things that had a schedule on below budget. And so that same mindset is exactly what we need. We haven't had a balanced budget since Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House. And I think 1993, not the last time that we were in the surplus in this country. And when you bring in a mindset of somebody who says, I know how to budget, I know how to make sure we get the job done effectively, and not just effectively, but think of his reputation as a businessman. The reason why he puts the Trump name on everything is not just because it's branding, but because everything he's done uh, has superior quality compared to everything else. It's not just the name, the product itself is superior. So imagine that. Imagine we have a politician with the business mindset who says, I'm going to turn America into one of my businesses and use my same skill sets that I've spent the last 50 years developing. You, we're, we have a privilege, uh, the privilege right now of watching a genius at work. See, I've had this conversation with many people, and I'm, I'm going on record right now saying that I think Trump, uh, here's how the Trump presidency is going to play out to me. I think the first maybe six to eight months is going to be absolute mayhem. I think there's going to be riots everywhere. I think uh, Trump Towers is going to have graffiti all over it. The word bigot you're going to see everywhere. The word racist you're going to see everywhere. But after six to eight months, the last seven and a half years of a Trump presidency, I think personally he'll be the greatest president of all time. I don't remember a president uh, with this business mindset ever stepping into an office and this a president who's so uh, honed in on securing our borders, uh, making America great again, like he says, he's stepping in at a time where 
Is America really great? Do we really love this country? That's why I can appreciate a Donald Trump presidency, because I think he genuinely loves the country. And it's not just uh, Democrats in general, but Barack Obama. You get the feeling that he doesn't really love this country. He's, he doesn't seem proud to be the Amer uh, president of America, where Donald Trump, he I made this argument all the time. He didn't have to do this. Donald Trump could have just, you know, he's a billionaire. Yes, he's in the spotlight, but now he's mega in the spotlight. So the fact that this man comes out of a billion-dollar uh, business that he's running, which basically is running itself, he has his kids there too, and is attempting to have the hardest job in the world, says something about you of the character of Donald Trump. I think this country more than ever needs Donald Trump. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I think that in everything, I agree with everything you said, except for the very first few sentences. Uh, the reason why we need his mindset now more than ever is because I am less optimistic about the first seven or eight months of what his presidency would be. And this is going to be regardless of whether he wins or not. Uh, the unfortunate reality financially for this country is that we are currently on another economic bubble. Uh, this one's being propped up by two things. The first one being the last bailout of 2008, which was a, it was a George Bush creation that Obama went ahead and made three times the size and maybe three times worse. Uh, so that's kind of kept us afloat. And we also have this giant student loan bubble. I do think, and uh, you know, from what I've studied in Wall Street Journal and my you know, time in the industry of finances, it, this fall could be a very bad fall. But here's the thing. When you, we, we need a leader right now who is strong, who is determined, who is reactionary, who is active, who will not let our country fall apart. We need someone to get us through the fire and through the flames. And I think he's the perfect person to do that. I think a Hillary Clinton would topple over and fall. I think a Bernie Sanders would throw his hands in the air and say, oh, well, socialism this, socialism that. We're the capitalist system got us here. And we could see our country completely disintegrate and fall to the left-wing forces. But we need somebody who has the strength and determination of uh, Theodore Roosevelt with the wisdom of, a, of an FDR, with the decision-making of a Truman, with the optimism of a Reagan. We need somebody who can pull us out of the darkness because, unfortunately, that darkness is coming. Whether you like it or not, it's going to be a rough year in the future. But his economic policies are what, in, or what can actually pull us out from the bed into the morning, and it'll be morning again in America. Now, I know you have a, a, a much better understanding of his economic policies than I do. I, I of course, uh, researched the tax plan and uh, the tax plan – Helps me, but it helps also many other middle class, working middle class. Uh, you said something uh, that really intrigued me when, you know, his economic policies are going to bring us to the morning. How so? What do you think? W what's his best policies? And I guess use layman terms as simple as possible so my listeners can understand. Sure. So what we currently have is we, we, we since the early 90s, uh, really for the past of NAFTA, which I think might have been 1995 or 96, uh, Bill Clinton was the one who signed that into law. Uh, our country's economy has changed into one of consumption, not one of production. Uh, if you look at the, uh, our country from 1940 through 1969, Let's go 1971 because that's when Nixon took us off uh, the gold and silver standard. In that time period, America's strength was that we were not just uh, the leaders of, of setting the tone for the free world, but we were the producers and consumers. We were the end-all, be-all. Our industry was strong. 
our, our manufacturing was strong. Our infrastructure was incredible because Eisenhower set us up with this incredible infrastructure of highways and railways. And we were the top of the world. There's a direct correlation between our success economically, our salaries, our average wage for the median household income, with our infrastructure and education. Now, when the infrastructure falls apart, when the education gets tied up in bureaucracies and terrible deals, when our exports dwindle, and all we do is buy, 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 and all we do is sell to all these other, uh, <clears throat> sell our rights to all these other countries who just say, oh, like China, they're just going to be so going to undercut everything we make, and we're just going to have to eat it up because we need to find a way to keep on going. The system can't continue. So what Trump's policies do is what Trump, some of the things that Trump's policies do is bring back manufacturing to, to America, brings back jobs. Now, there's a, the, if you look at the left, what the left says is the left believes that if you give people money in the form of welfare, right, keep them economically weak, give it, make it so they have $15 minimum wage, make it so that they have the mean, the just EBT, they have to spend it, make it so they can never save, make it so they can never establish themselves, they can never succeed. And what you do is you end up having money to change hands, change hands, change hands, and it seems to be an economic burst. But you can look at the other way as well. When you create jobs, real jobs, not only are you producing and creating for your own country, but the people are getting paid, not minimum wage, but the, the proper wage for their work, and they can use that money internally as well. So by doing this, by what Trump, by Trump's law is through uh, tariffs, by putting He's threatened uh, for Carrier, the air conditioner company. He's going to put a 35% tariff on any air conditioner that's built in Mexico that crosses the border. If Carrier does not want to pay that 35% tax, they must manufacture that air conditioner on U.S. soil. It doesn't matter what state it's in. It just has to be U.S. soil. These are economic incentives, not just to bring jobs back here, but to get our people back to work. And it's, it's a trick. It's, the real trickle-down effect is when people are actually manufacturing, producing, buying and selling on their own. Yeah, but now one thing that uh, I guess makes me a little bit nervous is when he says things like we're going to manufacture our iPhones again in America, we're not going to do it overseas anymore. H how is that going to, I guess, coincide with how, we, how much an iPhone is? I mean, the fact that it's made in China is so we can buy it for four or $500. An iPhone made in America, is it going to cost $2,000? Are we looking at something like that? I, you know what, there will be an increase, I'll be very frank, there will be an increase in prices across the board. That's true. There will be an increase in wages across the board too, and that's what people aren't expecting or aren't considering. Um, but they also don't understand that a lot of, a lot of what times the price you see is not the cost. And there's something called margin. So in business, margin is the difference between the price you sell it for and the cost of goods sold, the cost to make that margin. So let's say like gas companies, for example, when you go to the pump and you see in the, in the pump, it says $2.25 a gallon, right? Let's say the price of a barrel of oil goes from $50 to $40. So you might see that price of gas go from $2.25 to $2. In reality, what they do is every time the price goes up and goes up, even if the cost goes down, they never lower the price with it. So the majority of the people don't realize the majority of goods in the marketplace, the global marketplace, especially in America, are overvalued as they currently are. Because whether it be economies of scale or whether it be the price of flour, like remember, if you recall a couple of years ago, pizza became really expensive because all the ingredients to make pizza went up in price, dairy went up. Then the price of dairy went back down. But then the price of pizza didn't. 
So a lot of the goods that we have are already inflated. So the companies can't eat it. And by making it locally, there's shipping costs that aren't being spent. There's transactional costs that are not are being incurred. Because if you make something in New York and you just move it down from upstate New York to New York City, you save tons of money. So let's talk about the, the big thing, I guess, that happened this week uh, or last week. The NRA endorsement. How huge is this for Donald Trump? I actually don't think it's that huge, but I do think it's important. I think that you're seeing what people weren't expecting, which is a complete flip-flop on the, on the, for the Democrats and Republicans. Republicans were supposed to be chaotic, and how is Trump going to get everyone to rally behind him? But we've seen the past two weeks or so, everyone's talking to him, everyone's falling in line and saying, you know what, this guy makes sense and we like him. So the NRA supporting Trump, that's the stamp of approval. That's saying that when we elect a Supreme Court justice, which, by the way, in my opinion, might be the most important issue in, to make a decision for the presidential campaign, that we're looking at a minimum one, at maximum maybe three or four Supreme Court justice replacements, and they have life terms. So the NRA supporting that is the AOK saying this is a guy who will defend the Constitution. Oh, I think that's, that's huge. huge. I, that is huge. Yeah, definitely, because uh, you've heard so many times from hardcore conservatives that he's not a true Republican. He's a Republican in name only. And an endorsement from the NRA, I think, justifies that this guy is a Republican. He is looking out for the Second Amendment. He does want to protect our constitutional rights. Um, I, I know there was some comments this week from Hillary Clinton, of course, because uh, he said that he was going to get rid of gun-free zones, which I think is one of the smartest things ever. It's not just me being a gun nut. It's logical. It prevents so many deaths in schools and other crowded places where guns aren't allowed. Um, but again, I think this NRA endorsement is huge for that fact that he was called uh, a rhino so many times. And now with that backing, it kind of establishes that, yes, he is going to protect uh, Republican uh, you know, ideology. So I think it is huge. Um, I, I, I want to throw in there that if you, um, I recommend that any listener go and Google two things. Google the board for the NRA, the board members, the primary board members. And then I want you to Google the primary board members for the Washington Post. What about the Huffington and for the, Post? And for the Huffington yeah, Post. 16 white And you're going to see that the NRA is diverse. Is Carl, the is, Carl, is Carl Malone on the NRA board? I saw a picture the other day. I didn't know if it was uh, just somebody posting something without any knowledge. I saw a picture of Carl Malone on the N NRA board. You know what? You very well, I'm not too sure. You very well could be. I do know that Tom Selleck is on there, which I think is quite funny. Yeah. A classic mustache. Yeah. So uh, VP candidates, uh, give me three you think are very likely for Donald Trump. You know, I'm going to throw three that are likely, um, <clears throat> but I'm not going to say that I necessarily agree with them. Uh, the first one is Newt Gingrich. Okay, I think that it's one of mine. He's, the, he's probably one of the best choices, right? What do you think about him? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's uh, very well respected. I think uh, as far as a Republican uh, he's part of the establishment. Yeah, he need he needs somebody like that with him who's part of that establishment that can get uh, more Republican backing. I mean, for him, he fits the bill of what Trump's looking for. So Trump said that he wants somebody who is not like him. He wants an insider. He wants somebody who knows how the quote was something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, who can work the floors of the House and Senate. And to me, that's Newt Gingrich. This is a man who who was the Speaker of the House uh, in the '90s 
who was the, the since the House determines the budget, no one, everyone gives the budget credit to a president, but the president just signs a piece of paper. The man who determines the, uh, the actual budget for, for the country is the House. So Newt Gingrich was the one who was in charge of that. So he has immense experience and immense knowledge. He has a lot of weaknesses um, non-politically, which he's, I think he's on his third wife. He's a slanderer. He may have left somebody who had cancer. Uh, there are a couple negatives that I'm sure that if they're going to do a character battle in the vice presidential race, it'll be tough. But he, as far as IQ goes, he pro- of all the candidates that are available, he has the highest IQ. And he's the one, one of the only people who I would say if Donald Trump were to die, you got to get to go there. Newt Gingrich could lead this country and lead it successfully. Definitely. Uh, as somebody who I picked in the beginning, uh, you know, the mudslinging was pretty bad in the during the debates. But Marco Rubio uh, is someone who I think could step in and even help him win Florida, which most of the time goes blue. I think he has to pick somebody like Rubio uh, or Kasich that can help get one of those swing states. I think that's uh, important. You know, I, I don't mind Rubio because Rubio is Rubio was pegged as the future of the Republican uh he was supposed to be the face of the future of the Republican Party. But there's, and he fits a nice bill in that he's Hispanic. Get the Hispanic vote. Like you said, he's from Florida. But on, a, on the contrarian points for that, Trump won Florida handily. And they were destroying him with negative ads. There were 60 something thousand negative ads, different negative ads in Florida. Just imagine that 60,000 different negative ads in Florida. And Trump won with an overwhelming majority against four people, you know? So I don't know if he needs Rubio. And my other concern is that we might see with Rubio a repeat of Ronald Reagan. Now, this may verge on conspiracy theory, uh, but uh, Ronald Reagan's vice presidential candidate was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, Bush is extremely intelligent as well, was extremely respected in the Republican Party. He was once uh, one of the top officials, if not the head of the CIA. And one of the first things that happened to Reagan after he was elected was Reagan was, remember, not establishment. He was kind of the Trump of his time. And they tried to kill him to get an establishment person in there. So I actually, and I would like to counter with a third person who I think would make a good vice president, to make sure that you can't assassinate Trump to get the corrupt, if, let's say the politicians are extremely corrupt and the system really is rigged, both left and the right is truly rigged. You have to have a person who can work the floor, is extremely intelligent, and will continue Trump's policies. And I would say Rand Paul. Oh, I love it. Get you a nice libertarian in there. Get somebody who the establishment hates, who is true conservative principles, who is a strict constitutionalist, who will defend the Constitution, who, funny enough, has actually does support the majority of Trump's positions. Uh, it, might, it wouldn't be a bad choice. And you can't assassinate Trump because then you get Rand Paul, a libertarian. It, it it would be extremely safe and a nice middle finger to uh, to people like Mitt Romney. You think Bernie has a shot as Trump's VP? Dude, how crazy would that be? I think we spoke about it on Rambles Anonymous. Could you imagine a Trump-Sanders uh, ticket? That's my ideal, to be honest. I, I actually think that a Trump-Sanders Sanders as a VP, I think it would win, it would win in a landslide. You'd be looking at at least a 70% margin of victory. Uh, because you're, you're uniting the whole country. And you're also maybe adapting to the 21st century. 
You know, every hundred or two hundred years, things happen in the world, in the world, in the world economy, in the world culturally, and there's revolutions and there's this and that. If you do a Trump and Sanders joint ticket, you can have a, a, a safe and nonviolent, we'll call it a political revolution, in which you unite conservative and populist messages to defend America first with the positives of socialism. There are positives. And it would be the one way to defend yourself from the oncoming scourge of two things, the extreme fascist left, uh, which tries to deny free speech, deny our uh, constitutional rights. And unfortunately, this may be offensive, uh, the future Muslim issue. Uh, Islam is unfortunately not accepting and not, uh, when they go to new countries, they do not uh, assimilate into cultures. And they're not going to like things like women voting or being out alone or gay people getting married. None of that's going to fly when they, if they become the majority. And so if you have a united America, you could see 100% surviving and thriving in the 21st century. Hillary Clinton's got to be kicking herself, right? She cannot beat a uh, 74-year-old socialist from Virginia. She looks at the Republican ticket, and a guy named Donald Trump comes out of nowhere with no political experience. He wins the Republican nominee, and she still she still is behind in the polls, and she's still battling out against Bernie Sanders when Donald Trump knocked out 17 candidates. Who would have thought, right? It's crazy. It really is crazy. Uh, one of the things you brought up last week and you brought up briefly today is your love for the Libertarian Party. A lot of people don't even know what the Libertarian Party is. Can you uh, divulge on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, what drew me, to, drew me to the Libertarian Party uh, was when I was studying political theory, just, just for fun, not in college or anything. Um, it makes the most sense uh, to me as an individual. Uh, I like to think of it as the flip side of true communism. Now, I'm not saying that one is inherently good and one is inherently bad. True communism is not a negative. It's, it, when you, in true communism, you're looking at the whole unit and how best to control it fully for success, for safety. Now, the opposite is what it goes in the Libertarian Party. Basically, the Libertarian Party rules go like this. No victory, no crime. Right? And so if, you, if, if you're an individual person, you have your individual rights, your individual space. As long as you are protecting yourself and not imposing yourself upon others, everything is fine and honky-dory. So what they look at is they say that government as a whole isn't necessarily evil, but unnecessary. All government does is make things worse. In communism, government is everything. In libertarianism, government is zero. It's almost anarchy, but not. Because the system that controls everybody is free market capitalism. So Every, so let's say, for example, that you're driving down the street and the cop pulls you over and the cop says, listen, we're, look, we're just looking for uh, there's a drug dealer here. He killed somebody. We're just checking cars here and there uh, to make sure that he thinks he's trying to leave the city, wherever the case be, right? In a libertarian society, that would happen. And then you'd say to them, sure, officer, I allow you to check my stuff or I don't. And they have to respect that. And if they do and they find nothing, they would pay you because your time was spent. And it would also reduce the cost of all like police and fire department because the whole community pays for everything themselves. Everything is upon the individual's merit. So you pay for your own fire department. There's no bureaucracy. The price is competitive. So other fire departments can compete. Other police departments can compete. Other hospitals can compete. So you have back to the old days when a doctor would say, 
well, I'm not going to give you this 100000 medical bill for your x-ray because that guy down the street is going to charge you 50000 Well, that guy down there is going to realize, well, this is really cheap to push a button. I'm going to charge you nothing. Do you allow capitalism to be the kind of the invisible hand that manages everything? And so as long as you're not harming anybody, everything's great. See, someone I, uh, I've been checking out the Libertarian Party. I watched... Uh... I watched a few minutes of the debate. I like Austin Peterson a lot. Uh, I like that he's he's economically right. He's socially moderate, but on a lot of the issues that I care about, he tends to lean right on, uh, like he's pro-life. And uh, I know a lot of people like McAfee, and I know Gary Johnson is like the sweetheart of the Libertarian Party. Out of those three candidates, uh, who are you looking at? I'm looking at Gary Johnson because – I voted for him in 2012 to, to admit I did vote for him. And the reason why I like him is that I find nothing wrong with being socially left. Gary Johnson's more socially left than Austin is. Uh, he's not as right conservatively, but he's still fairly right conservatively. And it's a nice balance. Uh, one of his quotes is that when he becomes president, he wants a lesbian couple to celebrate their marriage by shooting guns into the sky in their marijuana farm. You know, like, here's a person who's open, who says, I'm okay with, you know, maybe transsexuals or maybe gay people getting married or, or people to smoke pot. And he might even be okay with abortion. His personal views on these things are that the states should decide. The states were created to be part of the union. We're the United States. We're not, you know, the federalist government. The United States let the states determine. So if Massachusetts says we're okay with abortion, Gary Johnson says let Massachusetts have abortion. And if Texas says that they don't want abortion, they want it to be illegal and to be a felony, Gary Johnson says they can both be that way. Texas could kill you if you perform an abortion. Well, see, Massachusetts will pay you to have an abortion. And the people will determine and the people will say, I would prefer to get abortions. Uh, so I'm going to go move to Massachusetts. And Texas will say, well, you know, we don't, we don't really believe that way, so we're going to move to Texas, and the states can compete not just economically, but socially. And that's how the world should be. People with like-minded thoughts should be, can be, would be encouraged to go move to like-minded areas. So I want to uh, switch pace a little bit, because there was, at the end of uh, last week's Ramble is Anonymous, we, started to- we got into the rat hole. We started talking about 9-11 conspiracies. And since that... Uh, time we, we talked about it. I have done so much research on 9-11 conspiracy theories and looking up videos and even watching a bit of Loose Change. Uh, dive into some of the conspiracies, I guess, and why you think you didn't flat out say that you think 9-11 was planned, but you said, eh, it may have been. Oh, absolutely. Sure. So I want you to look in the current news. It may be weird, but 15, in 15 years, uh, it happened. I'm a native New Yorker. I remember the date very vividly, but let's look at today's world. Right now, uh, the American people have pushed and have voted to allow the U.S. citizens to sue Saudi Arabia to release the classified documents from the 9-11 report. Obama wants to veto that. Why? He tries to make it up and say, well, they could sue us back. That's preposterous. Then, okay, fine. Just release the document. Well, you can't do that either. Well, why not? What is it saying? The truth is, is it probably says that Saudi Arabia is the one 
who arranged the whole entire thing, but they're supposed to be our friends. We give them billions of dollars in weapons. Does it make sense? So you can, you can even go to just today's world and see that there's still issues with the story that was given to us. You know, somebody, so there was a guy who bought the two World Trade Center buildings, uh, he bought one and two. And a few months or a year and a half or so before the event happened, he took out insurance policies specifically for terrorist attacks. That in the event that there was a terrorist attack in which a plane, missile, or otherwise were to blow up the building and be destroyed, he would get paid out an exorbitant amount of money. And then it happened. And then he went on to claim that, well, both towers fell. I should get paid twice. And he did. And then he sold it. And then he moved to Israel. That's where he was from. You know, and there was also there was a group of people who were uh, filmed in New Jersey. Who They were filmed filming the 9-11 attack. And they celebrated. That's preposterous. Now, how does a guy, I want to go back to what you said about the, the, the man who purchased the Twin Towers. How does one guy like that have that type of power and knowledge to know of September 11th? Is he really that important? Well, let's, no, let's, let's not say that one man has so much knowledge and power. A lot of times it's just information. Uh, you know, if you look at the history, America was probably very well aware that Pearl Harbor was going to happen. Now, they may not have known when. They may not have known how. They might not have known it would have been in Hawaii. In fact, there's rumors that they may have thought it was going to happen to the Philippines. But they knew it would happen, and they said nothing about it to let it happen, to give us a reason, to give us a moral reason to enter the war. Uh, so who's to say that a similar scenario didn't happen with, uh, with 9-11? And you'd say, well, what would the benefit of that be? Well, immediately after 9-11, they signed in the Patriot Act, which basically gives standing rights to the president and for the uh, executive branch of the government to issue any law they want during time of war, because now we're in a perpetual war against terror, and to spy and infiltrate all information, private or public, about every single citizen or not citizen who's within this country, and sometimes without if you look at what they do on the internet. So there's reasons, and it's a, kind of a power grab. So there's, there's, tons of, there's tons of reasons why maybe we knew about it, and we did nothing, or we encouraged it. I mean, let's say, let's, let's look at the story. They blame Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden arranged this whole thing, even though he's in Afghanistan, even though the majority of the plane, um, the terrorist hijackers were Saudi Arabian. Um, but it, let's, let's go back 15 years before that, 20 years before that. Osama bin Laden was, was praised. He was a CAA payroll. He, he was fighting the Russians for us. We trained him. We gave him money and weapons. You know, where does that fit into the story? So it's definitely clouded. And it's, it's, I, I'm not saying that America's evil and let this thing happen or arranged for it to happen. But the government definitely stood to get to gain from this event occurring. It's wild stuff. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I look forward to having you on this program again. And I'd love for you to come on to Ramble as Anonymous for sure. That, uh, that show is always a lot of fun. Mike and Jimmy are awesome. Sure. So. Yeah, it's been awesome. I, listen, I appreciate it, and I'm happy to come on anytime you want me. It's been a lot, of, been a good time. There goes Chris Hill. Thanks for coming on, man. Ah, uh, thank you. Chris is a really, really intelligent guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. I'm telling you, I was sitting in a room with him uh, during Rambles Anonymous, and he was just going off about topics, and I was like, 
whoa, where did this guy come from? And what's interesting is is that he's so knowledgeable, it's almost scary to the fact that uh, he better watch himself. Uh, if Hillary Clinton becomes president, he may potentially be assassinated. There's a lot of that uh, running around her name, as we know, Vince Foster and stuff like that. So Chris is awesome. Uh, really stay woke about 9-11 conspiracy theories. I know it's sort of going through a rat hole a little bit, and it takes a little bit to, to wrap your head around. But uh, go out, watch, watch uh, Loose Change. Go watch a couple documentaries. It's just uh, it's a really interesting play on something that we lived through and we've seen firsthand. So I want to talk about a, uh, I guess, a major news story for me at least, is uh, this Jesse Hughes situation. Jesse Hughes is the lead singer and guitarist of the Eagles of Death Metal. Uh, the Eagles of Death Metal are famous, of course, for being the band that was performing during the Bataclan attacks in Paris uh, that ISIS has put together on November 13th. Now, Jesse Hughes did an interview with probably one of my favorite people of all time, uh, Gavin McGinnis. Uh, the interview was on TackyMag.com. Uh, it basically goes through what he saw. Uh, he describes vividly uh, the events of the night uh, while he was performing, before he was performing, while he was just practicing with his band, seeing people walking around. And he has some uh, an interesting take. He, he thinks that security uh, actually may have been in on it. So I want to just grab a clip from the interview with Gavin McGinnis. I'll play it, and then uh, I want to make some comments. And it pissed me the fuck off because – I knew right then and there that it was going to be bad. I knew that these kids had no idea what was coming. None. They'd never heard a gunshot in real life. And it, it, it hit them so hard. I saw fear like a blanket fall on the whole crowd and they fell like wheat in the wind. And they looked at me and then all of a sudden they only realized in the most primitive way, mortal danger. And right. fell to their feet, to their faces in terror, the way you would fall before a god, and and that infuriated me, because I knew what gunfire was. I was able to think through it. I was also able to remember uh, uh, practical lessons of my life uh, about because I had to be in fights. My mom didn't go sue anyone. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have playdates. <laughs> I I. I I, I, I had some practical upbringing growing up in the desert, too, where you got to get yourself out of your problems, you know? So I had my eyes open. I kept my head up. I, I was thinking about my friends, able to get through my fear of myself and be like, fuck, some of us, okay. Because Davey, Davey was in the middle of the stage, and when the lights went on, you know, he saw shit he'd never seen before in his life. And I mean, awful stuff, dude. I want to continue with it because uh, it gets really emotional. Jesse Hughes gets really emotional about the whole thing. And, and I mean, you can imagine watching 89 of your fans get killed right in front of you. There was even uh, an instance where someone was shot right in front of him. Sorry to be graphic, but someone was shot right in front of him. And basically teeth flew out of the person's mouth so fast and hit him in the, in the cheek that it sort of embedded his cheek. And he has a scar there from somebody else's teeth. But, the thing he brings up is survival instinct, being able to to know what situation he's in and think logically to get himself out of it. And I think that's an instinct that we're losing in today's society because of 
uh, how parents are bringing up children. Uh, I think the rationale of fear and tough instances of their life is just something so uh, perplexed. It's crazy. You don't even you want to shield your child from anything, everything and anything where Jesse Hughes is upbringing. And he says, I don't know if it's in this portion of the interview, but he says that uh, he walked backstage and right away he knew there was a shooter there because he smelled gun smoke. And he knew that there was someone back there who actually fired around and his girlfriend was back there. And his initial instinct was, where is she? I can I can take care of myself, but she can't take care of her. So that's an instinct that we're slowly but surely losing. So let me continue to clip. Tough, dude. It, 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 it has no parallel uh, on, on anything that I've ever experienced. And because it's not just, I, I don't know how, it's not just death. It's the most unsuspecting, innocent, victim you know you can imagine and people who are gripped in in terror and can't move as a result of it it's not fair and when you're watching it in real time and you're thinking about it it's not fair you know and there was nothing we could do about it and i watched about seven people uh die and a couple of them they were, I mean, they were literally three feet from where they, they were three feet from the barrier. They, they could have fallen backwards and been alive. And they were too scared to even turn around and even think about it. And just standing with their hands up like this until the dude finally saw her. And all she did was go, no, 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 no. She, she surrendered to death in front of my very eyes and I was yelling at her. I remember I was going, Hey, like what the fuck? And she wouldn't, I don't think she could hear me. I don't, I think she was so terrified. I think she'd already given it up. You know, she'd already given it up. And that, that to me is not fucking fair. And that comes from a public policy against things. It comes from a lot of stuff, man. I, I will lay the blame right in its lap. Like when you tell people that they can't help themselves and that they're basically children and to take guns out of their eyes and, and you weaken them to such a point where three feet away is life and you can't even see it because you're so scared. I uh, advise everybody to check out the rest of the interview. It's on Rebel Media, which is uh, Gavin McGinnis's YouTube account. Just type in Rebel Media on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with Jesse Hughes. Um, not saying that everyone should go out and shoot guns, but everyone uh, should be able to at least experience the power and wrath of how important owning a gun is. I think that it's very important that children uh, or teenagers, even I wouldn't I wouldn't subject children to that, but teenagers actually understand. Uh, life or death situations, and they're able to understand uh, how to get themselves out of those situations. I think it's extremely important. And what's going on today is this uh, fear of Islamophobia, fear of some type of ism being called an ist, a racist, a sexist. I think you're taking out life and death situations and just putting them, uh, you're just mixing it out with the fear of being, uh, you know, the the person who's a, uh, giving oppression. Like, we need to get that 
out of people's heads. Now, if you see a situation like this and you don't like the look of it, you got to have the notion to get out of that room, right? You see people that look like they shouldn't be there. But I think what's happening today is most people are saying, well, I don't want to walk out of the room. And then when someone asks me why, I say, you know, I, I saw these Muslims and I didn't like the way they looked. And right away, you're Islamophobic. I think that you have to go with your gut instinct. And today's society is taking away people's gut instinct. Now, the interview was great, but I want to talk about the backlash uh, Jesse Hughes is actually getting now. He's been banned from performing in a couple of venues because he actually thought that uh, security may have been in on it, which is crazy in itself that people may have known about this attack. And uh, one of the questions he's asked is, uh, it's hard to talk about attack without sounding like you're blaming the victims, but it's impossible to deny fear of Islamophobia and fear of guns led to a lot of deaths that night. So uh, in essence, Jesse Hughes talks about he saw a guy with an FAL. Now, an FAL is not a handgun, for those of you who don't know. An FAL is like, if you play Call of Duty, that's one of those guns that's like a level two gun where you're holding it with two hands. How is a person getting in a venue, a small venue like the Bataclan, with an FAL? Think about that. That's like you know someone walking into Radio City Music Hall with an FAL. It'll never happen. They can't conceal that. It's not that they came in there with a pistol. And he kind of describes uh, the shooter's face that he saw with the FAL. He said his eyes looked like marbles. Uh, it was clear that he was stoned out of his mind. I would imagine you, you have to be uh, some sort of intoxicated to go through an attack, like something like that. Um, and then he goes more about how he was backstage, and one of the doors was just propped open, which is strange because the Eagles of Death Metal, okay, they're not a huge man. Uh, they're not on a level as, like, I don't know, uh, I can't think of a band right now, of course. One of those popular boy bands, whatever. But they are a popular band. Uh, five Seconds of Summer. I don't know. I just thought of the first band. Anyway, but they are a popular band. So the fact that the door was just propped open. And he also says he's seen uh, security guards working there last week, and this week they were missing, and they've been on the job forever. So it's just a number of uh, things that he thinks that this may have been a little bit of premeditated. And he is getting insane backlash for his comments about Muslims, for his comments about security being in on it. But meanwhile, I mean, I think this guy has a little bit of a gripe to, to not go crazy but to kind of speak out about what he saw. I mean, he he saw, he's described that seven of his fans died right in front of his face. 89 of his fans died overall. I mean, I think he has a right to, to just uh, voice his opinion about what happened. Um, but like I said, society is so conscious of Islamophobia and being a type of ist that they can't even go through with it. They can't even hear that. I mean, this is an attack that everyone should hear about so that they're aware. I mean... In America today, I've brought this up, we need border security for the simple fact that where I live personally, where probably most of my listeners, all three of them, a joke, a kid, I hope, uh, but where all my listeners are mainly from is New York. New York is an insane hotspot. I mean, think about all the venues where a catastrophe could take place and, and thousands of lives can be lost. I mean, we've seen it happen, obviously, 9-11, but think about if something would go down in Penn Station, Grand Central Station, Madison Square Garden. Yankee Stadium, MetLife. I mean, these are major, major places where thousands upon thousands of people are at. So we need to be a little bit more privy to situations and realize that we don't live in a society where everyone loves each other. Uh, Left-wing propaganda wants you to believe that that's the type of society we live in. 
And again, it's always going to be my war against the left is you have to stop shielding people from stuff. You have to stop dumbing people down. We have to stay woke. We have to see these type of things. We have to hear Jesse Hughes speak so that we know that when we're in a similar situation, what to do, what to know. Personally, I wouldn't have known, uh, you know, you smell gun smoke and, and your instincts sort of kick in and the back door propped up and why is this guy in here with an FAL and you know, it, it brings things to light. It brings, it makes people understand seeing and hearing things are a big uh, way of understanding what to do in a certain situation. So I, I think I'm getting close to like 55 minutes or 50 minutes or something like that. I usually try to, to keep the show short, but it was fun to be back. Um, the week off was uh, well enjoyed. Uh, Ramble is anonymous again. We're attempting to go live this week, so don't... Uh, don't quote me on it, but we're going to attempt to go live this week. Next week, I'll be taking some callers. You'll see that ribbon right there. Uh, that's the that's the line you could call in on. Uh, your call will be screened, and then I'll take it. Um, going to be some interesting stuff going on, hopefully some more uh, riots at the Democratic National Conventions. We'll talk about some stuff like that. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this was Open Season Podcast.